So we're in the middle of our series on the Ten Commandments. We're actually beyond the middle because we're on commandment number seven of ten. So we're 60% complete, and by the end of today, you'll know 70% of the commandments, which is pretty good. 70%, that's a C. So if you can just remember the ones we've learned so far, you're already going to be a C after today. Um, Talks about how the first four commandments are about honoring God and the second six commandments are about living in community. And today, it's thou shalt not commit adultery, or you shall not commit adultery. And it's, it's an awkward one in some ways because just the nature of it. In other ways, people are like, I'm not married, or my spouse is deceased, or you know, we're happily married. But it goes beyond that because it really becomes a matter of the heart. So today, I am going to talk about just the idea, the cold, hard facts of what they were dealing with in their community. But the reason it's in there is because of what it is in our heart and whether or not we focus on that. So here's the facts of where they were in their community. It was a crime being with another person's spouse, or it was also considered in their community, it was a crime if you were sleeping someone you were not married to. Both in that Context. If you actually look at the root word, it's the same root word for whether you're married to someone and sleeping with someone else or you're not married and you're sleeping with somebody. It's the same word. So that's how they viewed it. They didn't just view it as a sin. They literally view it as a crime. And because it was a crime, there was a punishment. Because there were many sins that all you had to do was make a sacrifice. But if you were caught in adultery, this is, of course, the way the world worked then and still works now. If you were a woman, you were going to be stoned to death. If you were a man, it depended on your role and your place in the community, such as life today in many ways. Um, it, life is unfair. You know, when, when people talk about equality, I go, yeah, there isn't because life is broken and unfair. And it doesn't make it right. It's just the reality we live in. So the punishment for women was typically stoning, the punishment for men could vary from don't do that or stop it to nothing to they could be cast out of, the, out of their community. Now, the problem with being cast out of the community, in some ways, it's almost a death sentence. When you're traveling through the desert as a caravan, there's safety and security in numbers. But when you're out there by yourself, you're in trouble. If you've ever watched The Walking Dead, they form these little clumps because they're safety in numbers from the little zombies or whatever. It's when you're out there on your own, that's when things aren't good. So, the, that's how the punishment worked. So, um, here's why it was viewed not just as a sin, but as a crime. A crime against the community is how they defined it. And it was viewed as a crime against the community because it destroys relationships. Adultery keeps these two people that might be neighbors from being able to be neighbors anymore. It destroys families. It destroys what we're trying to build, which is a strong, unified front moving forward together. The second thing is it does is, beyond just destroying the community and breaking down the family, is it creates internal strife in the people that have committed adultery. So now they aren't able to function the way they need to. And then it creates pain in all of these other sub-connections, just as it does in our society today, it creates fragments of relationships all around. In the modern world, 40% of all marriages have had infidelity. 40%. That's four out of 10. 
So if you look around just in any situation you're at, whether you're at a Mariners game or you're at work on Friday or you're at church on a Sunday, 40% of the people in there that are married have, had, have struggled with infidelity in their marriage. There's certain professions where it's even higher. Police officers, firefighters, it's nearly 60%. Medical profession, it's over 50%. There's a lot of reasons. One is long, extended periods of time away from your spouse, strange, crazy work hours, and you go through life and death situations relying on people on your left and your right, and they, you become artificially connected to them. I don't say that as a criticism. I say it just so that you know, this isn't just something that they dealt with in the Old Testament. It's still being dealt with today. And it's not something that's just a modern problem because we have television and modern conveniences. It's something that's happened since the beginning of time. Now here's the good news. 65% of couples who get counseling can recover after infidelity. 12% survive that don't ever get counseling but there's hope here's another bit of hope God forgives wherever we're at God forgives our brokenness and that's where we're going to start really our message today I needed to give you a little background on why is this in there but I also need to give you the fact that God offers hope today so people that have gone through an affair, whether they are the offender or the offended. They struggle with these things. I I actually looked this up um, through a psychology website that I occasionally go to, and it's uh, the number one thing is uh, betrayal. It's the number one feeling. So they struggle with betrayal. They struggle with um, self-image. Why wasn't I enough? Number three is shame. Number four is guilt. And I find that interesting because those are things that I talk about all the time that in Christ, we don't have to have any shame. In our relationship with Christ, we don't have to have any guilt. The Holy Spirit works in us and through us, but we don't have to have guilt. We don't have to have shame because there's hope and there's forgiveness. We don't ever have to feel betrayed because the Father is there working with us. So all of the things that people are feeling with this are almost all polar opposites of those of when we walk in a relationship with Christ. And so because of that, we have this freedom and this hope that's suddenly taken away because of our sin. And it's interesting to me how sin tricks us, deceives us, gets us to believe that we can never, you know, we've got to hide it because we can't ever be good enough. And I'm here to tell you today, as I've told you many times, you're not good enough and you never will be. So stop believing you have to be. Stop believing you've got to act a certain way or be a certain way. You're not able to be good enough. But you know what? God looks at you and says, I still have hope for you. I still have life for you. I still have a plan and a purpose for you as an individual, a broken, sinful person. And yet I look at you and I look at and see what can be not what was or what you did. Adultery is not an unforgivable sin. It may feel like it at times, but it's not. See, the church has struggled with this idea. For years, if a person in the church committed adultery, they were told one of two things. You either hide it, don't let anybody know, 
or if it comes out, we have to kick you out because we can't let it be known that we let a bunch of sinners hang out here. It's the truth. Throughout history, that's how the church viewed it. So you either hide it, and if you're not good enough at hiding it, then we got to ask you to go. And the most painful part of all of that is that's the opposite of what God wants. God wants there to be light in every area of sin in our life because he wants to bring us hope and promise for tomorrow. What has happened because of that is we've taught people to put on this fake, shiny appearance so that no one knows the real you. And so we look good and we have this outward exterior, but it's not really what's going on in our heart. And again, nobody wants to be with the person who's always depressed and always down. I get that. I've told you before, you know, I'm not asking anyone to fake it, but could you please not just complain the whole time about life? I mean, could we find a happy medium that I'm going to be real and I'm going to be transparent, but I'm not going to be like Debbie Downer. If you remember the old Saturday Night Live cartoon of Debbie Downer in the late 70s, early 80s, doesn't matter what was happening. If she'd be at a party and everybody that would walk over to her would walk away depressed. (laughs) And we don't need to be that in life either. We need to be real we need to know that there's hope for me. And so, again, I'm not asking anyone to hide their sin. We don't have to revel in it. We don't have to glory in it. But we've got to be honest with ourselves. Because if we're not honest with ourselves and we're not honest with, with people, we can't move forward from it either. I used to describe it this way when I would talk to teenagers. It's a little bit graphic. But it's like your dog takes a little poo-poo in the middle of the living room, but instead of cleaning it up, you throw a rug over it, The poopoo's still there, people. The smell's still there. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And that's what we like to do with sin. We like to pretend it isn't there, so there's this big, ugly sin. So we just throw something over it so that it looks okay, but it's still there. It still stinks, and it's still rotting up the living room. And then when they do it enough times, you just got area rugs covering the entire room and this rancid smell. And that's what our sin is. It's just a bunch of area rugs that don't even match because... Come on, how many area rugs do we have? And we've got this rancid smell. But God looks at you and says, I don't want you to just cover it up. I want you to clean it up and make it fresh and make it new. And I'm going to make it better than it ever was. I'm going to make your marriage better than it ever was. I'm going to make your life better than it ever was. I'm going to make you better than you ever were. Matthew 5, 27 through 30 tells us this. It says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one member perishes than your whole body be cast into hell. Okay. Understand, Jesus is not speaking literally here. He's speaking figuratively, but he's saying, what is it that's causing you to sin? Don't blame others. He's not looking and saying, if that person across the street, he's saying, if your right eye, if your hand causes you to sin, if there's things in your life that are causing you to sin, you've got to get rid of those because what you've already done in your heart, you've already committed the sin. 
the way you look at people, the way you treat people, whether you say it or not, those thoughts that race through your mind. And are we willing to take those captive? Because so often we go, well, I haven't acted on it. I didn't do anything. And yet Jesus is looking and saying, it's already sin. Adultery typically doesn't start with the act of sex. It starts with the act of what's going on in our mind and what could become and why this is better and why I need my immediate needs met. That's where it begins. So Jesus is reminding us of two things here. Sin begins with the heart, not with the action. And it's better to give something up than fall into the trap of sin. I've talked to many people who go, well, you know, it's okay for me to do A, B, and C because I don't have a problem with it, but it leads them to something else. I have many friends who, over the years, have struggled with addiction. And they'll give up an addiction, but really they just trade one addiction for another. I have friends that are alcoholics and they'll stop drinking, but they give up drinking and they really get heavily into gambling. They were heavily into some other drug, some other something. And all they're doing is trading one addiction for another, and they're still not releasing that and giving that over to God and looking for that wholeness that they can have in this life. It's not about what they're doing. It's about whether or not they're willing to surrender whatever the brokenness is so that they can find wholeness in Him. Because outside of Him, you're not going to find that wholeness anyway. You're going to still just keep chasing and chasing and chasing. And I'm here today to tell you, you are enough. You are worthy of God's love. You don't have to chase and you don't have to do anything. But I'm also here to tell you, there's hope for those of us who feel just this emptiness, who feel just this longing and this lacking. And he's there. And he wants that relationship with you. And I wish I could say, if you'll just, you know, I've heard it so many times. If you just follow Jesus, all your problems will go away. No, they won't. No, they won't. When I started following Jesus, my mortgage didn't suddenly fade away. I still got to pay the bank every month. This week, our truck died. My beloved truck, if you know me at all, I, I often said, I will drive that truck till it dies, thinking I would be dead before it would. And it reversed its order. So either I lived too long or it died too young. But either way, I don't know why I had such a deep affection for this truck. But from the moment I had it, it was like we were old friends. And it was, it was a fine truck, but it wasn't like a great car. It wasn't like I never had, I constantly was having to put money into it. And I'd go, well, but you know, it's, it's paid off. So I'm just putting $450 a month into it. It's no big deal. Who doesn't want to do that for a 15-year-old pickup truck? But my truck finally, I took it, in fact, I thought I was going to have to have it towed, and I got it into the shop, and he's like, well, how much do you want to put into it? And I was like, well, not a lot, because we're going to get another car. And he goes out there, and he looks for five minutes, and he goes, I'd salvage it. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know you would. But seriously, what are we going to do? He's like, Jeff, you need like $2,500 worth of work on this truck. And I was like, okay, but now let's really talk about what needs to be done. Because I want to keep it going, and I want to keep putting things into it, and I want to keep it moving forward, but it's time to let it go. But there's something about, I don't want to let it go. I want to hold on to it. And it's not valuable anymore, but I keep holding on to it for some reason. 
And so finally, after a little bit of convincing, he talked me into just letting it go. And I went home and I got the paperwork, like, right, and I almost did it right away because I was like, if I think about this, I'm going to go, no, I'll take it to a different mechanic. Yes, I know you've been looking at it for five years, but you don't really know it like I do. At one point, my daughter's here this weekend, and uh, her Dylan, because there's two Dylans, I have a Dylan and she has a Dylan, so her Dylan (laughs) is a mechanic, and I was like, oh man, I wish he was here, because then I'd make him work on it all weekend. But we hold on to these things. I don't know why I hold on to it. But it's the same thing we do with sin sometimes. It's the same thing that God says, I have something better for you. But that would mean me relinquishing control of my life. And that's scary. That would mean me saying, you get authority, and I'm not going to do this. Where You get authority, but I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to take it back as soon as I feel like, oh no, you're asking me too much. You're asking me to give too much of who I am. You're asking me to do too much. You're asking me to become something I don't want to be. And so I'm going to hold on to it and pull it into me and say that I've given it over to you. But he's looking at me and saying, just give it over to me. Jeff, your truck is a piece of junk. Let it go. Your sin is garbage. Let it go. But we hold on to it. And that's a matter of the heart. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about right here. It's really your sin. It's a matter of your heart, not a matter of your actions. And how many sins have we held on to? Jesus later addresses this like this in John 8, 1 through 11. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger, and they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until, not on, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. That's such a rich text. There's been speculation for years about, like, what did Jesus write? And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter. He looks and he says exactly what they need to hear. It doesn't matter what he writes. But again, like I said earlier, the law was different for the man and the woman. They didn't bring the man that she was with with them. They bring her because she's supposed to be killed, because she's the problem. Same thing Adam said. It wasn't me. It was the woman that you gave me. So from the beginning of time, shifting blame on someone else is the easiest way to go. My sin is because my spouse makes me so angry. My sin is because my boss rips me off so you don't know what it's like to work for him. My sin is because the high demands and pressure of my job force me to do this. My sin is because I'm in pain in some way, internally, externally, because of the world, because of brokenness, because of what this person or that person did to me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've experienced. And so all my sin is someone else's fault. And he looks and he says, where's your accusers? They're not here. Because the reality is, when we look and we say, he is without sin, they get to cast the first stone. Then suddenly, that begins to dissipate. 
suddenly it's about me and my heart and where am I at with this? And one of my favorite lines in the entire Bible, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. For all of those of you who believe that God is out to get you, that were raised in a church or in a religion that said, God's just waiting for you to mess up so he can get you. This should tell you right now that is not who God is. Because Jesus looks and he goes, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. The most important thing to Jesus right here is that you go and you don't sin anymore. And yet he knows you're going to. He's not stupid. He knows. Man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. He knows what you're going to do. And he's looking and he's telling you, now go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Too often times, we want a Jesus that condemns the group I don't like, that condemns the actions of those that don't agree with me, but looks at me and goes, well, you're my special and go and sin no more. And I'm here today to tell you, he's looking at all of you and he's saying, you don't deserve it, you haven't earned it, but I love you, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Sin is a matter of the heart. So what in your life is leading you away from a more meaningful and deeper relationship with God? I can't answer that for you, only you can. What is it that you're allowing to become more important than that relationship with God? Is it ego? Is it pride? Is it fear? Is it control? Is it money? Is it addiction? Is it past hurt? Is it past things you've done? These are all things that are real. But you got to know, he's looking and says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Not, oh, you got to pay for what you've done, and then I'll let you be free. He's looking and he's going, I don't condemn you. He's saying that to you today. You, only you know what it is that's separating you from fully engaging and jumping into that relationship with God. And you go, but Jeff, you don't know how much hurt this church has caused me. How much pain all of the transition that we went through caused me. How much frustration, how much I'm angry that my friends left and it's your fault and I don't, but I still come for some reason. I'm looking at you today and going, I understand. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jeff, you don't know how I was raised. My father was abusive. My mother was neglectful. Neither of my parents even cared about me. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jeff, I've been using since I was 12, 13, 14 years old. I've been struggling with addiction for 20 years, 30 years. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And what do I need to be willing to give over to God for the sake of following him? What in my heart do I need to say, God, I'm going to let this go. I'm going to let this go so that I'm really buying into and believing. Because when I buy into and believe, that means I'm going to live it out. When I buy into and believe, that means I'm going to be a changed person. And how am I going to do that today? Because again, I can't answer that question for you. I 
I, told, I tell you guys every week, the questions in my conclusions are the questions that I ask myself after I write my messages. So when this me- series was written last November, last, yeah, last November when I was writing this, and then this week when I was looking at it, these are the questions that pop into my mind. These are the things that I've got to ask myself before I can present it. Sometimes I have answers, and sometimes I don't have a clue. Because some things are hard, and some things are difficult. But what am I willing to sacrifice? What is the thing that I keep holding control over so that I can become who he created me to be? So that I can walk free with a pure heart that's not lusting, that's not desiring for something other than God? Those are the questions that make me wonder and think. Those are the questions I want you to ask yourself and be honest with yourself enough that says, I'm going to set that aside because I'm going to pursue God with all I am and with all I have. I'm done controlling my money. I'm done controlling my world. I'm done controlling my sin. I'm done controlling my ego. I'm going to put those things aside so that I can fully pursue what God has for me because he's created you for something beautiful and greater than you could ever imagine if you'll let him have that place. Father God, I thank you for the people of Gathering Place. God, for those who are here today, I pray for your presence and your peace. I pray, Father God, for comfort for the lonely. I pray, God, for provision for those who are in need. God, I pray for your presence for those who feel, who are asking, where is God? God, for those who are struggling with illness, we just pray for healing, for for Larry, for Nancy, for the others in our church, even those that I don't know about, Father God, we pray for healing and strength, that you would be with them and draw them back to us. For those that are caring for them, Father God, give them energy. Be with their spouses as they take care of the people that are sick around them. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. And I thank you, Jesus, that you do not condemn us that you do not accuse us. And all you ask us is that we go and sin no more. Help that to become real in our lives. In your name, amen.